You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yo, yo, what is up? What is up? You are listening to Locked On NBA Draft, and this is your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies, and now the new director of scouting for NBA Big Board. Shout out to everyone, each and every person that has made Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day, and in this case, your first listen of the week. And today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. And I am reporting to you live from Belgrade, Serbia. I got here Thursday, I think. I mean, my days are all mixed up. And uh, I usually do not know what day of the week it is other than the fact that I have... A podcast due every Monday and Thursday morning, but all my days start to run together. But I'm in Belgrade. I leave tomorrow morning to go to Italy. I'm going to Bassano, Italy. There's a big under-16 tournament that I will be headed to. And overall, I mean, these last few days have been pretty good, other than the fact that I am tired. I may not sound like it, but I am past exhausted. I had like a 20-hour travel day. I left on Wednesday. I left, well, I guess it was Wednesday in the States. I got here to Belgrade Thursday night, had a long flight. Then um, Friday morning, went to the Adidas Next Generation Tournament Games. I probably stayed there for about six hours. And then um, did it again Saturday. Was at the gym from about 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. And then after that, I. Met some really cool people, some scouts and agents. We ended up going to dinner and stayed at dinner until 1 o'clock in the morning. And then right back at it the next day on Sunday, which was yesterday, and went to the games, watched the championship games, and um, ended up at the the Players Hotel. Again, where I I talked to some agents and, and some scouts and a couple of the players and Ended up catching up with some some friends that I that I had back from when I lived in Istanbul. So I mean, it's been a great weekend, and I am exhausted. And um, I guess this is going to be the norm with my new schedule, since um, I will have three articles a week that I will be posting on NBA Big Board, and of course my two podcasts here on Locked On NBA Draft Mondays and Thursdays. So pretty much, if you like my work, then you have an opportunity. You can hear my podcast two days a week, but you can get content from me five days out of the week. And that's pretty crazy. I mean, I I hope I, I don't burn myself out and not have enough content to talk about between now and the draft. Because five days a week is a lot. I don't think there's anybody that's doing five days of content covering the NBA draft, but... Here I am. I'm going to do it. And also trying to spend as much time in, in gyms as possible this year. I think, um, I mean, that could be something that you don't see. I mean, a lot of people are, are, are doing scouting, but they're not actually going to games. And one of the things I really realized this weekend was how important it is to actually be at the games and watch them live as opposed to watching film. I think film is good, but there's such a huge difference between watching games live than they send it on film and 
and just um, seeing like how tall a player is in, in person, maybe focusing on like you know if there's a guy that you like, seeing his effort on the defensive end, and like I said, it, it's it's a big big difference. So um, I'm I'm very glad that I made the choice to to come out here to Belgrade and and now I'm on my way to Bassano and I hear this is like a big tournament and one of the things about European basketball that differs from the states is um, the the teams are it's not AU so you're you're with your club team so it's a lot more at least from the team side organized more structured and um, I mean guys have chemistry for the most part they've been playing together while when you watch AU ball you know guys aren't they don't practice together you know I've seen situations where you have guys that live in I just name a state live in Illinois but they play on a team in Michigan and they come in on Friday night and play Saturday morning so the gameplay is a little bit different but one of the things that I really really would love to do and somehow figure out a way to make it happen is get some of the top teams from Europe to come to the states or vice versa I would love to see a Real Madrid 18U team or Barcelona 18U team play against some of the top 18U teams in, in the states. You know, maybe it's from the EYBL or 3SSB or Under Armour. And one of the things that I had tweeted about it, but one of the things that that's somewhat of a challenge for me is looking at a player here in Europe, and especially the guards, especially the guards, and seeing if this guy would be able to compete in the Under Armour circuit or 3SSB or the Nike EYBL because in the States, guards come a dime a dozen. And then I have to think about if I take this high-level American guard that's maybe a mid-major prospect and I put him in Europe, especially if he's really, really athletic, how much is he going to stand out and is he going to stand out? And that challenge is something that really, really intrigues me and one of the reasons why I plan on just spending more time in the gym. I'm actually going to attend a lot of AU games this summer. And um, just I think it's going to make me a better scout, but I think it will help me um, just have an even more better understanding of how to evaluate prospects from an NBA standpoint. One of the things that kind of made me think about this was because I look at this the team from France, this, this um, team from Asville. They won the Adidas Next Generation Tournament yesterday. But Asville was just way more athletic than than all the other teams and they didn't have size and they really didn't have shooting but they were just able to overwhelm teams with their athleticism and and just like their their effort and teams in Europe really can't simulate that and I felt like this team from Asville is probably the closest thing that you'll get to a, a team from the United States but here's a, a difference in a sense is that I felt like even though the French players have the athleticism that is on par with the Americans, there's still some elements to their game to where they're playing the European team basketball, which I, I, mean, I, I love the European team basketball. I love it. I just feel like sometimes in the European team basketball, players don't always exploit mismatches. It's like if you're a, a guard and you have a big switched out on you, Instead of attacking him every play and, and drawing fouls and just making the coach switch up, the players are so robotic in a sense and concerned about making the right play. While I feel like in the States, and maybe it's just our, 
our bravado, but if we have an advantage over someone, we are going to take, <laughs> you know, we're going to use it over and over. I mean, I've seen in AAU ball where a coach would call the same play over and over and over and over again to get a mismatch because they feel like there's a player that can't guard somebody or if it's, you know, a big that has a small on him. And, and I think, like, sometimes with maybe even the French players who have some of the athleticism, they may come to the States and they're playing so much team ball that they they lose, like, their aggressiveness and or they're not being aggressive and maximizing their, their talents because they're playing team ball. And I won't name the particular player, but I have a friend that was a coach in the NBA and he coached a guy that was a top five pick who, you know, many consider a a bust. And one of the comments that he made really stood out to me was he said, well, player A knows how to play basketball, but he doesn't know how to hoop. And when he said that, it was more so in reference to this guy was on a really bad team and the players on the team were trying to get theirs, you know. They're, they're trying to get their second contract or they're, you know, they're trying to put up numbers, put up stats. I mean, if you're on a bad team and you're not putting up numbers, then you look really bad. And so he said, well, this particular European player didn't know how to play that way. He was playing unselfish. He was moving the ball, doing all the little things, but his numbers were bad. And he's out of the NBA today. And the coach said maybe if he had a little bit of more selfishness in him and looked to be more aggressive, then he probably would still be in the NBA. So all of that made me think about my subject for today. It's kind of long-winded. But my subject for today is how often do we mistake sexiness for substance? And no, I'm not talking about a woman. I'm talking about basketball. All right, when we return, I'll get into my, my topic here at hand. But before you talk about that, I know you're wanting to hear, like, what in the world is Raphael talking about? I want to talk to you about Bill Bar first because, you know, it's that time of year. It is March 1st, tomorrow, and most people have given up on their New Year's resolutions, but Built Bar has something for you. It is the puffs, and it is the puffs, which are like this 100% fluffy protein-infused marshmallow, and it's the first protein-infused marshmallow that is 100% chocolate. I mean, it tastes like a protein bar. It's a treat. They have incredible flavors from yummy cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, and like I said, they are all 100% real chocolate, including the puffs. Yep, you heard that right. 100% real chocolate, low calories, high pro- high protein, and they can replace your candy bars with ease. And a typical candy bar can be anywhere between two or 300 calories. If you get a chance, go to Built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. And I can assure you that you'll be blown away. The high protein, low calories, high fiber, low carbs. And most built bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. If you compare that with a candy bar, you're talking about 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and a dozen net carbs. And then built bar has multiple delicious flavors. And I'm not just saying that because I'm being paid to say that. It's really good. I know um, I went crazy with the coconut almonds, but they also have mint brownie, coconut. And the new flavor of the month, I guess I call this the Jason Williams, but it is the white chocolate flavor, white chocolate cookies and cream. They're delicious. New flavors are coming out all the time. 
And if you think that there's a flavor that might be good, reach out and they'll make it. It will be delicious and it will be good for you. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCK15 at Built.com. All right, once again, this is Raphael with NBA Draft Junkie. Shout out to everyone that's made Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. Now, check out the Locked On Now podcast. You like how I worded that? The Locked On Now podcast recaps every NBA game with analysis from my local experts. It is free wherever you get your podcast. And one of the reasons I'm tired is because I had to stay up late, at least late here, and watch James Harden debut, then after that, you know, I want to see what the people at the Locked On Now or Locked On Sixers are talking about, and that is not good for my sleep. All right, but now let's talk about this topic at hand, sexiness over substance, right? So in my last podcast, and I may not have been my last podcast, it may have been from a week ago, and I was asked a question about Patrick Baldwin Jr., And I mentioned that he looks the part and has the size and skill set that fit the modern-day NBA. And I compared him to Cam Reddish. And Cam Reddish is someone who often, very often, teases us with his talent and his potential. But to be quite honest, he's struggling to find the fit in the NBA. And it's largely related to his inefficient shooting numbers. He has a negative assist-to-turnover ratio. He's dealt with injuries. And I felt like, I shouldn't say felt, I feel like Cam's game is suited to be the man, to be the go-to guy. But you got to be a master in your role as a complimentary player to get the right to be the go-to guy. And you can say that he struggled with that role at Duke as the third option. Then you can say the same thing about Atlanta. And then here he is in New York where he's going to have to play at the minimum a role behind Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. But despite the fact that he's never shot 40% from the floor in his NBA career, there are still a lot of people that think he deserves a larger role. And at least, in my opinion, it seems like his high school mixtapes and his pre-Duke hype have awarded him a lot of patience with fans and along with, you know, maybe the 10 or 15 games in his NBA career where he's looked like the player that everyone expected him to be. And remember, coming out of high school, not, well, maybe not coming out of high school, but if I remember correctly, going into his senior year, he was ranked ahead of Zion Williamson and R.J. Baird. Maybe not R.J., because I do remember at the under-19s in 2017, R.J. Barrett, like, literally kicked Team USA's butt. But, and Cam Reddish was on that team. So I think Cam, R.J. was the number one pick going into the year. But I want to say a large chunk of R.J.'s – I'm not sorry, uh, Cam's high school career, many thought that he was the best player in the country. I mean, I saw comparisons to T-Mac. All right, so I said all that to say this. I feel like Patrick Baldwin Jr., is going to get drafted higher than he should because there's a sexiness to his game that will outweigh his production. Patrick Baldwin Jr. has a very transferable skill set, but the numbers are awful. Through only 11 games this year, that's all he has played, 11 games. He's averaging 12 points, 5.8 rebounds, 1.5 assists, a little under a block and a little under a steal per game, 0.8 to be exact for both of them. But the shooting numbers are 
awful. 34.4% from the floor, 26.6% from three, and he's averaging more turnovers than assists. Now, somebody is going to draft him high. I still see his name as a first-rounder on different mock drafts and big boards. Definitely not mine. If I'm wrong about him a few years down the road, hit me up. Let me know how wrong I was, and I will, you know, I'll be honest with you. I was wrong. Now, in his defense, I do think that there's an ankle injury that has played a, a role in his lack of productions. I think he had the injury last year in high school, and he's missed a, quite a few games this year. So I give him a little bit of slack. And dating back to when I watched him this summer at the under-19s and what I've seen from him at Milwaukee, he lacks substance. And how can you justify selecting a player in the first round of the NBA draft when he's putting up mid-numbers against mid-major competition? The numbers, 34% from the floor, 26% from three, do not even suggest he's an NBA player. Now, I know you cannot always judge players by numbers, but have we seen a player from a mid-major school that did not dominate the mid-major conference, a mid-major conference, I should say, and was selected in the first round of the NBA draft. Now, if you don't look at the numbers and you just watch him on the floor, actually, if you watch him warm up, you watch him move, you see an NBA player, and you can visualize his role in the NBA as a a shooter, a ball mover, someone that can handle the ball and create mismatches. But he lacks substance. And one of the more concerning things outside of his injury is that he was expected to be a shooter. That, at the minimum, was his role, was to be a knockdown shooter. He did not shoot it particularly well at the under-19s, just off the top of my head. And it's sad that I remember stuff like this. I think 28 of the 44 shots that he attempted at the under-19s were three-pointers. And this year, so far... He's taking way too many threes, in my in my opinion. Way too many threes, especially when you're only making 26%. But nearly, well, I'll just give you the exact numbers. He's taking 11.9 shots per game. 5.8 of them are threes. That is too many. Nearly, and 50% of his attempts are threes. That is basically a guy that is settling. Maybe it's the competition. I mean, or I shouldn't say the competition. Maybe it's his teammates, but, you know, it's hard for me to to um, blame a guy's teammates when in college, and I've said it before, in college you get to pick your teammates. All right, so when we return, I'll talk about a few other players that I think have a lot of sexiness to their game, but maybe not a lot of substance. All right, now let's talk about our host sponsor for the day, Bet Online. Football season might be over. But basketball season is in full steam with both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. And I know as of today, people are ready to put the can or, I don't know, fire Frank Vogel, which is totally not his fault. But BetOnline even has odds about where the next coach is going to land after he's fired. And BetOnline is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it is not 
just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right down to Olympic coverage and information. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, once again, you're listening to Locked On NBA Draft. And this is your host, Rafael Barlow. And another player that I want to talk about that still may get drafted, and he's still high on different mock drafts and big boards, is Usman Jang. Now, I like Usman Jang. I love the skill set. I love the length and, and everything that he can be. But right now, when you watch his film, I mean, he's had a couple better performances of late. His game has more sexiness than substance. And again, I know we're talking about 18 or 19-year-old guys. But when you're evaluating NBA talent, are you evaluating on what you see now or what you project them to be? And I understand you're supposed to evaluate on what you project them to be. But how tough is it for a general manager when you <laughs> – I mean, it's already tough enough – for you to draft a, a teenager and basically your your job depends on the success of a teenager but it's even more difficult when you're drafting a guy that on pure upside despite the fact that he did not have the greatest numbers and then you're hoping that that player can turn into who you you want him to be and of course you know you got to have a lot of faith in your development team but in Usman Dang's case he passes the eye test with his ball handling, his passing instincts, his size, and his length. But he has had a brutal, brutal, brutal season in Australia. And then he's seen his draft stock decline due to inefficient shooting and just not living up to some of the expectations. And in his case, he's dealt with some injuries, has not had a lot of experience in the last couple of years. And so, I mean, I think it is an adjustment period for him. I mean, it's going to be an adjustment period for anybody. Factor in that he's moving to a different country. And so on. But this is why the draft is far from an exact science. We've seen super productive college players who have struggled in the NBA and have seen their careers fizzle out before they turn 25. I don't want to mention any names, but I mean, you just go down any draft. I mean, you see guys that were top 10 picks in the last five years. They were really good college players, and for whatever reasons, it did not translate. And... You know, it, it, it makes it difficult. I use an example from last year, and I, I'll wrap it up with this. Last year, I thought Zaire Williams was, and, and I talked about this extensively last year. So if you're new, I, I, I'll, I'll bring it back. I thought Zaire Williams last year was very similar to Patrick Baldwin this year. You know, you had the injury issue. You had the fact that he was just very inefficient from the floor. Did not have good numbers at all. But the sexiness in his game, the positional size, the length, the athleticism, and I think the high school hype or, or just the attention that he received prior to coming to college, along with good workouts, somehow propelled him as a top 10 pick despite <laughs> not having the greatest number. And I still to this day don't understand why 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 his teammate in high school, BJ Boston, did not get the same benefit of the doubt. And BJ Boston fell all the way to a pick number fifty one, I believe. And I think in a redraft he'd go higher. But the sexiness in Zaire Williams game got him drafted in the top ten despite his lack of production. 
while it did not help for B.J. Boston. And maybe it's because Zaire Williams is a little bit sexier because he's longer and, you know, just all the tools that teams look for. So I feel like if you're like a 6'8", 6'9", wing that shows some type of ball handling and some type of wing skills, it almost does not matter what numbers you put up, especially if you're athletic. If you're athletic, 6'9", 6'10", can handle the ball, shows flashes of being able to pass, or even shows, you know, an upside of being able to shoot or create your own shot off the dribble, you can literally average 10 points per game, shoot 35% from the floor, below 30% from three. And if you're athletic enough, a team may select you in the lottery. In Zaire Williams' case, um, you know, he had a very difficult freshman season at Stanford, and Memphis gambled and, and believed in his talent. And they believed that his skill set outweighed his production. And there was quite a few games. I, I don't know right off the top of my head, but he did start a few games for Memphis while, while they were on their run. And Memphis is a team that is a, a top four team in the West right now and a team that has a really, really bright future. I'm curious to see what his role will be once Dylan Brooks returns. But... Again, the sexiness gave him the opportunity to be a top 10 pick. Well, that wraps it up for me today. But I want to get you to check out Locked On NBA. The Locked On experts are covering the biggest stories around the NBA every Monday through Friday, and they get it done in less than 30 minutes. Once again, this is Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and NBA Big Board. If you have any questions about this podcast, not, not necessarily questions, if you have some comments about this podcast, whether you think I'm an idiot or you agree with some of the stuff I'm saying, hit me up on Twitter, Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W-E-5-0-0, and we can have that discussion. But remember, I am in Europe right now, so if you send me a message at a certain time, I may be knocked out sleep, and then by the time I wake up, you may be knocked out sleep, but we'll, we'll try to, to make it work. But thanks again for listening. I really, really appreciate all the support. I just... I'm living the dream. And so thank you for each and every person that has made my podcast a, a, a priority. And I really appreciate it. But thanks again. Once again, it's Rafael, NBA Draft Junkies, Locked On NBA Draft, NBA Big Board. And oh, yeah, I'm the director of scouting for Circuit Scouting. So I will be on the high school scene this summer. And this is the point in the show where I say that I am out. <laughs>